Welcome to another episode of the Rapture Hour. Today we're going to be diving into the Feast of Trumpets. So hopefully by the end of this episode we can learn something new. And if you like this kind of thing, I'll tie it in obviously with the Rapture. But we want to dive in a little bit deeper with the Feast of Trumpets, talk about it, Hopefully you'll learn something. Hopefully I'll learn something about the Feast of Trumpets, why we pay attention to it, um, just in general. In general, why it's significant to the Jews and why we pay attention to it as a Christian. So if you like this kind of thing, if you like channels that talk about the rapture, talk about the end times, talk about black swan events, You've come to the right channel. And today is September 14th. And I mentioned in a previous video that this is probably one of the highest watch times for rapture this year. Why? Because of the Feast of Trumpets that is coming tomorrow, which is the Jewish New Year. It's the first day of the year for them. So let's uh, let's dive in a little bit. Let's read from the scriptures. And then, like I said, hopefully we can learn something together. <clears throat> so I'd like to start by reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So this is kind of interesting to me. Because this is where we get the first day. We get time, the beginning of time for earth and what God's plan was for earth. It all starts here in Genesis. In the beginning, we get the first day. God says, let there be light, and there is light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light day which is interesting because in the book of Revelation Jesus calls himself the Alpha and Omega now in some versions this means the beginning and the end but in the book, the King James Version, it means first and last. So light is also, also represents Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ is that day, which is very interesting when you start breaking things down like that. He is the light. 
again, God called the light day. So Jesus is light. Light is also called day. <clears throat> when Jesus was going back to raise Lazarus from the dead, he stayed an extra couple of days. So when the messengers went back to tell Mary and Martha, they were upset because not only had their brother just died, he'd been dead now two days, but when the messengers showed up, there's no Jesus. Jesus waits an extra two days. When he gets there, it is day four, as in four days of Lazarus dead and buried in the grave. Martha says, if you had been here, my brother hadn't died, wouldn't have died. Jesus says, he will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know he will rise in the last day. Because the Jews believed that. They believed in a future resurrection where everyone was going to be resurrected, judged. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am that day, you can say. Because she said, I know in that day, Lazarus will be raised. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. That is me. If you have the resurrection, you have me. I am that day. I am that last day. And here we have the first day. The first day is Jesus. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the first day. Jesus is the last day. Jesus is the resurrection. Whenever you think of Jesus, you should be thinking of light. Jesus said, we cannot be harmed during the day because there's 12 hours in the day. He who walks during the day will not be harmed. It's those that walk at night that stumble. Those that sleep. But we're not we don't participate in the night. We are of the day. We're not to be taken off guard. I just find this fascinating that you get, in the beginning, you get light. There was light. And God called the light day. The darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So, on the Jewish calendar, the way it works for the Jews is the beginning of their day starts at night. It's opposite for us. Our mornings start like at midnight, really, when you think about it. It's kind of weird. Most people are asleep at midnight. We don't start waking up to about 6 o'clock in the morning, 5, 6, 7, depending on what type of work you do. I usually get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> so let's jump into Leviticus 
23. Leviticus is one of my favorite books in the Bible, believe it or not. I might do a little Bible study on the book of Leviticus because I look at it, I look at it a little bit different than most people. As usual. <laughs> people are like, you see the Bible so different. How come you see the Bible so different? Well, the first thing is, I don't have a concordance. Meaning, I don't read others' opinions first. I read the Bible first, over and over again. Like I said in previous videos, I've read this thing 10 times already in the last year and a half. My goal this year was to try and read it 12 times. But so far, it's been five times this year. Last year, I read it uh, five times as well. So it's very difficult to read it more than five times in a year. Because obviously, you do deep Bible studies, all this kind of stuff. So I'm hoping to be able to read it one more time before the end of the year. Because we're now going into the fall. That's my goal. But it's taken me just a little bit over three months to get through the Bible this, this time around. And I think part of it is because normally I would read for a couple of hours in the morning. And that allows you to get through the Bible in 30 days. Two hours a day, seven days a week gets you through the entire Bible. But because I've also been making videos the first thing in the morning, it kind of cuts my reading time shorter where I read for about an hour in the morning. And then when I come home from work, I read again. And then I do other stuff with my YouTube channel. It's almost like your YouTube channel now has become a bit of a part-time job because it takes you a few hours to make a video, to think about it, all this kind of stuff. And then to go through the comments, read the comments and all this kind of stuff that comes pouring in, it eats up a little bit of your time. <laughs> so for me to compensate for that, I will also listen to the Bible throughout the day as well. I have a Bible app. So I'll just listen to the Bible. And right now I'm listening to the book of Job. And that helps compensate for things because you can actually listen to the Bible as you drive. And I drive a lot. So there's, there's lots of time in the truck to listen to the Bible. And that helps compensate. So if that's of interest to you, I would highly encourage that to either be listening to like music, like hymns. Hymns is fantastic because I don't think hymns get any more pure. Like, hymns are beautiful to listen to. I love listening to Blessed Assurance, other verse, other hymns. You got to remember, I grew up as a Pentecostal. I grew up in a Pentecost church. So, and then I left and got married. And basically, we moved to Calgary. But I grew up in all that King James Bible stuff. I just, I just didn't appreciate it until a year and a half ago. Because then I went back to the King James Bible. Anyways, interesting, right? Interesting. When I was a youth, oh, yeah, probably 17. My pastor wanted to send me to a Bible college back in 88, 89. And uh, 
He said they pay for it. And I turned them down. <laughs> kind of interesting, right? So funny. But he just he just saw maybe some potential, something like that. Pastor John. Good old Pastor John. All right. So let's go into Leviticus. Yeah, like I said, I might do a, a video on Leviticus. Now I'm not a I'm not a pastor. <clears throat> I feel like Tom Coach when I say this. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a good teacher. I'm just someone that loves reading God's word. And I agree with that. I'm not a pastor. All right. But the book of Leviticus to me, I'll just share real quickly and then we'll jump into the feasts of the Lord. So the way I look at the book of Leviticus is <clears throat> I divide it into three categories. The first category is all church related, if you will. Not our church, but church, like religion, religious duties, obligations, if you will, sacrifices, all this kind of stuff. This is the first court, first third of Leviticus, if you will. The second third of Leviticus is basically, I, I look at it like a hospital. So if you have some boils, you have some sores all over your body, you get you go to the priest and you let them check you out to see if it's a leprous, to see if it's a boil, to see if you need to go outside the camp, go on a little holiday for about a week, get isolated for a bit, come back, get checked out, all this kind of stuff. And then also uh, you have dealings with women. Uh, guys, you know, if they have bowel problems, women, if they have menstruation problems, all kinds of stuff, how to go about cleansing them with the priests. And then also you get into the, <clears throat> the idea is when they got into the promised land, that they would be able to look at these homes, see if there's any mold in the homes, how to get rid of the mold, how to replaster the walls all this kind of stuff, how to watch for um, mold that gets out of control. And if it does, then they have to burn the home down, all this kind of stuff. If they have blankets, if they have cold, uh, clothing and all this kind of stuff that has mold on it, what to do with it, they're to wash it. If it, if it doesn't come clean, then they got to burn it and all this kind of stuff. So there's lots of stuff to take care of people. In the second part, I, I look at that again, like a hospital. <clears throat> and then the last part of Leviticus is like a bank. So you have a bit of an exchange system going on. Uh, you have shekels because when people spoiled um, Egypt, they took a lot of their money, their possessions, their gold, their silver, their jewelry, all this kind of stuff. And as a free will offering, they gave some of that over to uh, Moses so that they can build a tabernacle and use and all the utensils you know gold cups all this kind of stuff candlesticks all this and then they were also to give free will offerings to the priests as well and they had a storage facility if you will for all these treasures that whenever they would conquer a nation they would bring some of that 
some of the spoils into the treasury, silver, gold, all this kind of stuff. Then you have things like the year of Jubilee. So you basically got 50 years to do transactions, to accumulate debt, all this kind of stuff, buy, sell land, all this stuff. The Levites never had any land, but they were able to buy and sell land, property, all this kind of stuff. So what would happen is people would get in debt with other people and they would maybe sell a portion of their land or rent a portion of their land to someone in order to pay back that debt and all this. And it started on basically a 50-year cycle. So the the probably the best price for a home would be uh, at the year one, if you will, the year of Jubilee. Why? Because you have 50 years to pay it back. So people are more willingly to give you a better deal on property if you're buying and selling property. Probably the worst time to buy property would be the year before Jubilee because people are a little bit nervous that you may not be able to pay back that debt, so the prices will go up a bit. And Moses strongly discouraged uh, people from not making deals and transactions the year before Jubilee, because they're always worried that people are going to default on their loans, if you will. So then there is... Uh, a system in place where if you're lending to another Jew, you wouldn't charge them interest. But if you're lending to a stranger that lives with you, you can charge them interest. And it, and it didn't have to go crazy with the interest, but it had to be something reasonable. And you can actually borrow your tithe back with interest if you're like, I'm giving you 10% of, of whatever I brought in, but I need that back. So then the the Levites would charge them 10% or 10 or 20% interest so that they can go and do whatever it is they want. And then what would happen from time to time is maybe they needed a little bit extra cashola. So they would bring a sheep or something. And then the priest would do an estimate on that animal and then give them so many shekels based on how it looked. And the appraisal was final. You, you didn't have you couldn't come back and say oh can i swap that one back i have another sheep that's a little bit better or a little bit worse you couldn't do that it's all deals were final with the levites then you would get people asking for loans that were like 20 years old all the way up to i think like 60 years old if you're coming in asking for a loan, let's say you're between the age of 50 to 60, you're going to get less of a loan. Why? Because you're higher risk of not paying it back by the end of the year of Jubilee. Because you probably won't make it to the end of Jubilee. If you think about it, if you're 50 or 60 years old and you got another 50 years before the year of Jubilee, probably going to default on the loan so then they kind of figure that out and say okay you're only going to get like five shekels or something if you're a 20 year old you're going to get more shekels because you're a rigorous man and you can work you can pay off all that debt <clears throat> if you're a woman 
and you're young and you're asking for a loan, you're probably not going to get a big loan. Why? Because you're in your childbearing age and chances of you defaulting on the loan are pretty high because you got to take care of your family first. So then you get less shekels for that. If you have kids, you're going to get more shekels. So if you're a husband, you have a wife, you have three or four kids, I think you get like five shekels per kid. And then yourself, maybe you get like 20, 30 shekels, whatever. And then if you have a wife, maybe 10, 15 shekels. So this is what the Levites would give you <clears throat> as a loan in order for you to go buy some land. Maybe you want to go buy some animals, whatever it is. And then you make a vow to pay that back. So this is why vows were pretty sticky with the, with the Jews. You make a vow, you pay it back. If you don't make, if you, it, it was almost better not to make a vow. Because if you make a vow, you had to fulfill that obligation. So this is why the Jews are so good at money. It's because they have the book of Leviticus. And they can go through this stuff. They have, and if you want to talk about <clears throat> the reason having animals being sacrificed and stuff, if you were a priest, you had to sacrifice a certain type of animal. And off the top of my head, I can't remember, but I think it's, I think it's sheep. And then if you're a leader, you also have rams. And then if you're just a regular person, then you can have, I think you can have Rams, goats, sheep, um, uh, doves, grain offerings, all this, depending how, how much money you make. If you're poor, you can do grain offerings, all this kind of stuff. So depends on, on where you are on the scale of being a leader. If you're higher up, then you, you would pay more because you have more responsibility. So let's just say you, you went to visit one of your politicians, if you will one of the Jewish leaders, and you notice that they had no rams on their field, but they had all these sheep, you'd be like, is there a problem? Is there some kind of sin in your life that we don't know about? Because I noticed you don't have any rams left. You only have one ram. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have a bad temper, and I transgressed or did some kind of a sin or whatever it is and then i had to pay by giving up one of my rams taking it to the offering so it could be sacrificed so my my sin could be atoned for so you can kind of get a pocket you can get a glance of where people are at based on what how many animals they had left it's kind of interesting when you think about it that way <clears throat> so if you see someone that has a lot of sheep and they're lacking some females, you're like, hmm, there's some shin going on here. There's some problems. There's some explaining to do. It's almost like that was their type of confession was to, when they show up with the priest with a sheep or a lamb or a ram, you don't even have to say anything because the priest would know why you're there. They know why you're there. So that's kind of interesting. So you do that, and then, like, like I mentioned, you have basically, so the, the th again, the three settings would be a, a church, a hospital, and then a, uh, a bank. And it's quite fascinating 
<clears throat> because then once you get the year of Jubilee, everything goes back. <clears throat> everything goes back. So if you got yourself into debt and you sold yourself to pay off that debt, you'd be a slave. But the difference in Israel is you're a slave for six years. On the seventh year, you get released. You go back. And if you had a family, let's just say you married um, the owner's daughter, you have a choice to stay. And you need to get a piercing to stay. Almost like a love slave, if you will, where you just continue to work there. You get wages, everything. But you stay. If you leave, you got to leave your daughter and your kids. Because that's the property of the owner. But in the year um, release, the seventh year, you're allowed to go back home, whatever it is. You're free to go. You're free. Your debts are paid off. Now, if you're if you get into a fight with your servant and you give him a little shot to the cheek and you knock out his tooth, and maybe it's year one and you have a temper tantrum and you beat up your slave, <clears throat> that slave is allowed to go free. Why? Because you inconvenienced them. You knocked out their tooth. They're allowed to go free. They can go. See you later. Dang it, that cost me a lot of money. Because now i got to find another servant. So that should teach me not to lose my cool. So this is where you get the eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing. This isn't me pulling out your tooth and then you pull out my tooth. That's not what that means. It's you get compensated equally for the damage that I caused you. So if I stole from you, if I stole the sheep, you would get five sheep back or whatever it is. Five or seven sheep. I can't remember off the top of my head. If you knock the person's tooth out, they get to go free. If you punch them in the eye and they go blind in that eye, they go free. If you hit them, if you get in a fight with someone and they end up in a coma... You got to pay for them. You got to pay their wages and all this kind of stuff till they get better. You have to take care of their hospital bills till they get better. And if it's done unintentionally, you have to compensate and all this kind of stuff. You have to go before witnesses. You know, you have one or two, two witnesses, I should say, that said, yeah, no, he didn't do this on purpose. He wasn't planning the attack. It just happened there getting in a struggle and the guy got sick ended up in a hospital, if you will. And so this guy has to compensate by taking care of all their needs. If if he dies, then you got to pay a little bit more, all the stuff. But if he did it on purpose and planned it, and there are witnesses that he killed this person, he is to actually flee to a city, to one of the Levites, one of the safe, safe cities. So really criminals would hang out in the cities which is kind of interesting and that's where the levites the levites would get cities and then there would be cities of refuge and these criminals were allowed to go there <clears throat> if they left the territory of the city they were allowed to get avenged by the the family of the person that they murdered but until trial until a trial date was set they had to stay in those cities if they did it by accident, they still would flee to that city until the judgment came. If the priest died, they're free to go. Anyways, I can go on and on. That's not what this video is about. It's about the Feast of Trumpets. But it's important to know Leviticus is a very cool book. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. 
All right. Feast of the Lord. Hopefully you're getting something out of this. I think this is kind of cool. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. So you got the Sabbath, you got the Passover and unleavened bread, you got the first fruits, and we talk a lot about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ, the first fruits. What does that mean? It means anybody that dies in Christ is also the first fruits of Christ. That's why we believe in a resurrection. And I won't go into that in this video, but the second you die, you are the first fruits being offered up to the Lord. The first crop, if you will. The best crop. You get to be with Jesus Christ the second you die and you get a new spiritual body. So you get the first fruits, you get Pentecost, then you get the trumpet blowing. So let me just back up just before trumpet blowing. This is kind of interesting. Verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field. When thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. It's interesting that this verse is in here because we see later a stranger comes to the land of Israel and is trying to reap the harvest of the land. And Boaz tells his men to leave a little bit extra because there are poor people that are gathering food so they can eat. And Boaz is like, here, throw a little bit more. Give, give this lady a little bit more, which is Ruth. And don't touch her. It's kind of interesting. Ruth is a little bit of a fourth, a foreshadow of the rapture as well. If you've ever studied the book of Ruth, I'm telling you, it's all over the book of Ruth. The rapture, being protected, being separated, all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's interesting. And Jesus, when he was with his disciples out in the cornfields, if you will, eating corn, some of the Pharisees are like, hey, why are your disciples doing this on the sabbath and legally if you go from the book of leviticus they were allowed to do that they can eat corn whatever is just lying around they could do that what they weren't allowed to do is put the corn in a bag or put it in their cloak and then take it for later and eat it but you can definitely go buy any harvest and just grab whatever is loose that was fine that's within the levitical rules and regulations so technically, Jesus wasn't breaking any rules because it wasn't considered work if you just walk by something and you grab something off of a tree and you just eat it, fig tree, whatever it is. All right, so we get to the trumpet blowing. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing trumpets, and holy convocation, and ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And this is the first day of the year for the Jews. This is the Jewish New Year. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also, on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you. 
and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. From your even until even, ye shall celebrate your Sabbath. So basically, this is like a, a day, a week of reflection, repenting of your sins, turning away from your wicked ways, all this kind of stuff. This is what the Jews would practice. So tomorrow, maybe I'll make another video on this because we're almost out of time. Uh, but tomorrow, September 15th, um, is going to be a day where they're just blowing trumpets all day long. Shofars, if you will. Rams, ram horns. Be kind of interesting. I kind of wish I was there. It'd be kind of cool to just hear that. It's quite ominous if you think about it as well. Because a lot of times these ram horns were were blown. Maybe I'll make a video about that. Were were blown at different times and in different ways. There'd be long blasts. There would be short blasts, like two or three short blasts. And some of them would would mean um, assemble, like get together, because Moses was going to tell you something, or you'd have these other blasts that meant. <clears throat> Uh, an enemy is coming, an enemy is attacking, it's imminent, 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 get ready, look up, look look out, stand on guard, because it's imminent, and then there are others um, to introduce a new feast, if you will. So just depending on the type of trumpet or the type of shofar that they were using. So in the King James Bible, it says trumpet, but really... It's that sound that's coming from a shofar. And in the book of Exodus, we see the Israelites wanting to go to Mount Sinai. God asked them to come there to do some sacrifices and stuff. And he was going to come down to earth and dwell with the Israelites right then and there. And then lead them into the promised land. But as they got close to that mountain, it sounded like a trumpet. It sounded like thunder and lightning. And it was God's voice coming out of that mountain. It was so authoritative. It sounded like a shofar blast. And people began to tremble. And then they said, no, Moses, we refuse to talk to God. We want you to be our mediator. And we want God to teach you, and then we want you to teach us. This is where we get all 613 commandments, ordinances, all this stuff from then forward. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. <clears throat> they were supposed to have <clears throat> the same faith as Abraham. That's how their faith was designed, was to look to God for their help, for their support, for their food, for their nourishment, for their water, for everything and every during every season they were supposed to send men off to wherever the lord would provide a place for them 
which eventually would become Jerusalem. And that's where they were to worship. They were to invite Levites there and have a big party three times a year. Big one, big party. All the men go there and party, eat whatever they want. So it's kind of interesting that that's how it was supposed to be set up. And then right away, Israel's like, no, no, no. We need a mediator. We need something written in stone, <laughs> basically, is what they're saying. So it's kind of interesting. But we as Christians, we tap into Abraham's faith. How did that work? Well, Abraham just believed that he was going to be a father of many nations, not just on earth, but also in heaven as well. As we're... Jesus has a program to not only restore earth back to its rightful place, which is Israel being a light to all the nations, but he's also restoring uh, heaven because it's not perfect right now. It says that in the book of Job. Job is like God doesn't trust some of the angelic beings in heaven because they fell. A third of them fell and followed the devil. And one day they're going to be kicked out. And one day we're going to be in heaven because we have seats right now. We have rooms in heaven right now. That's that's positions of authority in heaven. We just we're just unaware of it right now. But we do have authority in heaven. Again, this is why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. It makes zero sense to go through the tribulation. You don't see it in the Bible. What we see is Jacob's trouble and God's wrath being poured out on earth. And I shared in a previous video that the Lord is going to gather his own to his barn. He's going to bundle up all the tares first, mark them, figure out who's who, <clears throat> then gather his own into his barn, and then he's going to burn all the tares. There you go. So we didn't really dive too much into the Feast of Trumpets, but maybe tomorrow's a better day for that because it is September 14th. So anyways, keep looking up. The Lord could be coming at any time, any time. We just have to pay attention. Thanks for watching. I'll see you in another video. If you got something out of this, subscribe to this channel and feel free to leave a comment and please let me know where you are hailing from. I always like reading where people are watching these videos from. So if you got something out of this, let me know.